Hear the word of God from James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. These readings come from the New Revised Standard Version. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourself of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they are like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, be not hearers who forget but doers who act. They will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. So grateful to be with you here today as we start the book of James. I could feel the excitement as soon as I said that, and that was really impressive. Um, so recently, I had a bunch of appointments, like a ton. You ever have a day like that where it's like one after another after another, not, not even really time for lunch or anything? And I went to the restroom finally, and I was absolutely horrified to discover in my teeth were these nasty something or others I ate at breakfast. I don't know what they were, but w whatever they were, they were significant. And, and that, wasn't even, that wasn't even the worst of it. The worst of it was I had some big, nasty, gnarly thing hanging out of my nose. <laughs> so by the way, if that ever happens while we're talking, please, you have the liberty to tell me uh, what's hanging out of my nose. So, so anyway... I was horrified, but then I started thinking, you know, the mirror is, is a very revealing and useful object, isn't it? It, sh it, it? it really shows us some things that is truth, and some of you, I bet, spent more time in front of it this morning than others, right? Everybody has that kind of rhythm where they, I don't know what your early morning routine is, but we get in front of the mirror, we kind of check it out, and um, my reflection has changed a lot. Uh, recently, and I'm not just talking about my hair being cut. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I had hair down to here and cut it recently. But it, not just that, um, my hair's been thinning. <laughs> my hair's been thinning. I've, I've noticed the crow's feet uh, you know, around my eyes. I've noticed uh, I'm not as fit as I used to be. Um, 
some would argue maybe I was never fit, but I, but I, seem, to, I seem to fixate on what's wrong rather than what's right. And in a way, James, the book of James, serves as a mirror to us, showing us what our faith is really like so we're not deceived. It reflects kind of the state of our souls, often pointing out the food in our teeth and the snots in our nose. But it doesn't leave us there. It gives us some practical kind of steps to move forward. Now, to be clear, the book of James isn't your seven steps to your best life now. Do you know that book? It's not. But what it is, is it's a no-nonsense, practical, and wise guide for everyday living. It doesn't use cryptic language that some of the other books that we have to kind of decipher and try to figure out what it means, but it impassionately, impassionately calls each one of us to shun the things that would distract us from our relationships with God and each other and focus on the things that are right and beautiful and pure. So over these next five weeks, I guarantee you'll be challenged, you'll be pushed, you'll be pulled into an opportunity to deeper love of God and neighbor. I hope you won't miss uh, one of these weeks, or if you're not around, check it out online. You can watch Magnolia online or any of the sanctuary services as well, because to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer where we hear about it will mean that we have to focus day by day on our faith. I don't know about you, but I know for me, if we're honest, our attention towards God gets distracted. We get distracted with life. And one of the most prevalent blocks that I've experienced and that I've seen in this congregation, I don't mean you, I mean the general you of our congregation, is what Laura so beautifully showed on that bumper video. We have a calendar. And you see all of these things scheduled on the calendar. And you have time with God. And it keeps getting pulled and other stuff gets put on top of it. And it keeps getting moved and all around. We are very busy, busy people. Overscheduled, overfilled with activities. And that's true for me too. My wife's taking Russell to uh, uh, hockey as we speak. Shuffling in and out. Kids everywhere. And it's not all bad. But what can happen is intentionally is a distraction away from God. We skip worship for a few weeks because we're out of town and we're doing kids activities and we have other uh, commitments and we just want a week off. And then we have a difficult week at work and we're just exhausted. And we're like, I'm bagging. I'm bagging this week. Or our own individual time where we're being replenished, where we're cracking the scripture, where we're talking to other people, gets ushered out. And before you know it, it's been a month since we've even heard or listened to the word of God, or we haven't paid attention to our email um, daily devotion get, gets sent to us. So here's my question for you right now. You're not going to have to tell anyone this. Is your faith in God, is your call to love God and others growing Right now, is it stagnant or is it withering? Is it growing stagnant or withering? 
James, for us, holds up the mirror. He holds up the mirror. And earlier in chapter 1, he has, I, I I think we skipped them on purpose. I'm not sure. They're pretty harsh. But I want, I'm going to read them just because I don't think we should skip stuff, right? So earlier in chapter 1, he's talking to this group of Christians, and he, he's talking to the rich. And so I don't know, uh, we don't have to be rich, we don't have to, but the words of this verse, these verses are pretty powerful. And um, this is what he says. You'll hear some truth in them, I hope. He says, the rich are like a flower. Beauty, elegance, aroma. But what happens with the rich is the sun rises up and scorches everything in the field. And then the, and then the flower falls and the beauty perishes. But here's the, here's the part that really convicted me. It says... Verse 11 says, in the midst of a busy life, we wither away. In the midst of a busy life, we wither away. James is saying that sometimes our wealth and our options are beautiful and lovely things, but they divert us from the the central thing, the big thing, which is loving God and loving others more and more and more. So here's the first bullet in your insert if you want to pull it out. This is what James tells us to do. An everyday faith, to be a doer of the word, to be a doer of the word, and not just a hearer, you must remember that an everyday faith is first a gift from God, a gift from God. This is from James 17 through 18, which says, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. These gifts come down from the Father. Before we get to the practical, before we look in the mirror, take the food out of our teeth, wipe away the snot from our noses, we must center on this truth, which is your gift. Your gift. When you look in that mirror and you see the reflection back, kids, I know you're writing and squir- squirming around. I want you to remember something, kids. You are a gift from God. You are a gift. You are loved by God. Do you bl- yes, and you know it. Thumbs up. That's it. You are a gift. You know that breath that we just took? Gift. You know that job that we have and sometimes are frustrated by? Gift. You know that family that we're sitting next to that we love and also drives us crazy sometimes? Gift. You know this church which is beautiful and broken and full of light and also darkness? Gift. We must remember. There are times in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, where the people of God forget. Even look at the first story. Don't eat from that tree over there. We forget. Out in the desert, the Israelites traveling, they forget. And we forget too. We have to remember. 
We have to center on that our life from Christ is a gift. So here's what I want to invite you, how you can remember just this week. I want to invite you to take this, take this little insert and stick it on your mirror. And every time you look in the mirror this week and look at the thinning, thinning hair. Oh, I didn't even mention the, the hair on the ears. Really disgusting. Anyway, that. But you can remember that even the hair on your ears gift. You've been given life. You've given a capacity to love gift. So tape it up on the mirror this week. Remembering that you're a gift will help you be a doer of the word. So here's the second one. Verses 19 through 21 point to our second bullet point, which is an everyday relationship is a relationship with God. And everyday faith is a relationship with God. So in 1995, I moved to Tampa. I was up in North Tampa. I started working out at the YMCA there and then eventually got on staff uh, as a fitness consultant, believe it or not, um, uh, up there. And so uh, I started working out, and I got to meet people and stuff like that. And there was this one guy up there. There was this one guy. He was older, and he was a chatty Cathy. He loved to chit-chat. But what I realized what he was setting me up for is I had this big target on my back. And you know what the target was? Potential convert. Because I, I hadn't recommitted my uh, life to Christ. I was kind of struggling around. But he, he had seen... He had kind of got that into his grill, and he was ready to go. And so with his tool belt of persuasion, he had something called the four spiritual laws. If you don't know what those are, you should Google them. And he used those on me to tell me what I believed was really, really important, and that if I didn't believe it, if I didn't believe it, I was going to spend in it. He wasn't this dramatic, but he said, you'll spend an eternity in hell. This is why we're working out, by the way. Uh, let's just say I didn't look for him when I came into work. But here's what the why guy wanted to do. This is what I, I don't think his intention was, ba- was, was, was bad. It just maybe the effectiveness wasn't that great. Verse 21 says, Welcome with meekness the implanted word, the implanted word that has the power to save your soul. And so what the why guy wanted me to know, the why guy wanted me to welcome God's word so that it would save my soul. And his approach was really, his approach was this. I want to save you from something. I want to save you from something. That something being hell. And although, again, like I said, well-intentioned, not compelling at all for me. He was saying that my relationship with God would save me from something. And, but here's what he failed to highlight. And this is what a lot of, I think, sometimes denominations focus on and Christians focus on. He failed to highlight that God's word implanted deep within every, every one of us is to save us for something. You are saved for something. So when we talk about salvation here, about restoration, we're not trying to scare the hell out of you. We're trying to love the heaven in you. 
he wants to talk. Might be a call on his life. You never know. <laughs> the good news of Jesus Christ is not necessarily to keep you from eternal punishment. We are saved for a relationship with God, a life of fullness, a life of giftedness, a life of love, a life of doing the word. So John Wesley said it like this. I'm going to have it up on the screen because it's John Wesley likes to write very long sentences. <laughs> By salvation, I mean not barely according to the vulgar notion of deliverance from hell or going to heaven. He just said, by salvation, he's not talking about life after death. It's not, that's not what he's saying. But a present, here and now, deliverance from sin, a restoration of the soul to its primitive health, to its original purity, a recovery of the divine nature, and the renewal of our souls in the image of God, in righteousness, in true holiness, justice, mercy, and truth. All of that gobbledygook is saying this, that we are created for a relationship with God here and now in each other, to love God and love others more and more and more and more, and so that we can participate in justice and mercy and truth. Yes, there's heaven after, but we're called to love now. So if you think about how do you, how do you strengthen a relationship with anybody, anybody, including God, it's not really that rocket science-y, is it? You don't have to even really be that smart. You just need to spend time with the person that you're trying to grow the relationship. You just have to spend a little bit more of communications, intentional time. You have to listen to each other. You have to discover their heart and their character and what they want for you. And so these next five weeks, here's my, here's my invitation, here's my challenge, here's what James is challenging us to, is read the scripture every day. It's at, the bottom of your, it's at the bottom of your insert. Read it every day. And here's something else. And this act in and of itself is an amazing kind of confession. This is an amazing act. We don't do it very much anymore. Get on your knees when you pray. It reminds you that God is with you and there's something larger at work in this world, in your life. And when you get on your knees to pray, you're saying, oh yeah, I get to co-pilot, but I'm not completely in charge. God is in charge. And it's an act of humility and submission. So get on your knees and pray and then join us in worship for these next five weeks. And if you are out of town, jump online and see us online. You won't be disappointed. And I guarantee you, at the end of those five weeks, you'll experience some kind of deeper connection with God if you focus on that relationship. So again, the first two, remembering your life as a gift. If we're gonna be a doer of the word, we've gotta remember our life as a gift. Connects us with gratitude and cultivate our relationship with God, spending time with God. Now let's skip to the choose one before we get to the, that last everyday blank. The choose one um, are all in the scripture again. He gives us some other ways to be doers of the word and not surprisingly, you'll notice that they counter just about everything in our culture right now. The first one says, choose listening, not anger. Choose to listen, 
not anger. Second, choose humility, not arrogance. Choose humility, not arrogance. And he's talking about our tongue a lot, right? Or our thumbs. I've had some problems with that recently. I confess to you. Choose humility, not arrogance. And lastly, choose compassion, not dehumanization. Choose compassion, not dehumanization. Because our world prefers shouting over listening, outbursts and anger over patience, bravado and pride over humility. All we have to do is turn on MSNBC or Fox or CNN or scroll through the Twitter feeds or see what our government officials are uh, posting on their tweets to see that our culture prefers anger, arrogance, and dehumanization than the opposite. Let's live differently. Let's be doers of the word. All those are important, but here's the litmus test. Here's the one that, oh my gosh, that James says that tests our faith, and it's, it's so challenging. Hear it again from verse 27. It'll appear on the screen. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. I don't think it can be any more clear. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one unstained by the world. To serve others. And that's the third blank. And everyday faith is a service to God. And everyday faith serves God. How we love God is evident in the way that we serve others. Let that sink in. How you serve God is how you serve others. How we care for those on the margins. This is what it means. Like Back in Luke 10, there was a story about the Good Samaritan, which that word means nothing to us anymore. We think of it as a helper and all that. Back then, they thought it as a despised person. Jesus tells the story about the Good Samaritan that we are called to enter into the mess and the distress of people's lives. The religion that walks on by is one that's not true. The one that enters the brokenness of the world in the dark places to shed light and love is one that's undefiled and beautiful and true. That's the mirror that James is wanting us to look in. If your faith, brothers and sisters, is private and personal, James is inviting you to make it public, to enter in, the, to look those places in the community, to look the people in your lives that are broken all around you and enter in and speak a word of hope. Enter in to love those who are broken or hurting. Everyday faith matters. It matters to believe that you are a gift from God. It matters to cultivate your relationship with Christ through prayer and scripture and worship. And it matters to serve God. 
You know, the book of James was almost thrown out by Martin Luther. Did you all know that? Martin Luther did not like the book of James because, he said, because James said, faith without works is dead. Martin Luther didn't like that part, but what I think, what I think if you read the whole book of James, you see, and this, this is that bullet point or, or that last blank that you haven't filled out yet, we are not saved by good works, we are saved for good works. Does that make sense? So you are not saved. I don't care how much, you, how much service you do or how much service I do or whatever. That's not what saves us, but that's what, we're for, that's what we're saved for. Only Christ's life, death, resurrection, conquering of the sin kind of saves us, but we are created to love and we are created to serve. And so I want to give you just 30 seconds to be quiet, to ask God, what's one way this week you can be a doer of the word? So let's just be silent together. When you gaze in the mirror this afternoon or after service or tomorrow morning, remember, brothers and sisters, you are a gift. When you gaze in the, when you gaze in the mirror and you start taking inventory of how you look, remember that God desires a deep and rich relationship with you. And last but not least, remember, brothers and sisters, that you are created to love and serve, to be doers of the word. So look for those places in the community where God is calling you into so you can make God's love real. Let's pray. God, I give thanks for this uh, congregation who makes God's love real in their thoughts and in their actions. Show us where you're calling us. Help us to remember this week that because of you, we are a gift. Our life is a gift. That we're called to deeper relationship with you and help us to serve those on the margins so that we could not be just hearers of the word, but doers. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.